0: Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, and we'll read verses 1 through 21, the whole chapter, Romans 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that, re- that weep. Be of the same, same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as, in, as lieth in you, be peaceably with all men. Live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto the wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if I enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the passage that we've read. We thank you for the practical instruction that it gives us of how we're supposed to live. And I pray that we, as God's people, would each be those in whom people can see authentic Christian living. Help us to be the real deal, Lord. Help us to be what we should be for you. Thank you so much for saving us to give us the opportunity to live for you, and I pray you give us wisdom to do that every day. If there's someone here today, Lord, who has never trusted Jesus, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them. I ask you to give enablement to bring the message. I pray that you would get honor for yourself, and I pray you would speak to our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've entitled the message this morning, Authentic Christian Living. The word authentic means real. It means genuine or actual. It's the opposite of fake and the opposite of hypocrite. There are fake diamonds which look a lot like diamonds, such as cubic zirconia, but they are not the real thing, and therefore they're not as valuable as real diamonds. There are also fake Christians who are called hypocrites. They masquerade as Christians, but they are not the real deal. They are not what what a Christian should be. This morning we want to consider authentic Christian living. Now, we're not contrasting this to hypocritical Christian living, because there are some real Christians who do not live the authentic Christian life, and technically, they're not hypocrites. A true Christian who doesn't live an authentic Christian life is not a hypocrite, because a hypocrite is, is claiming to be something that they're not. They're truly Christians. The Bible would, def- would define them as carnal Christians, and so we need to understand that, and so But the person who is truly a believer is to live an authentic Christian life. They are true believers and they're to please the Lord in what they do. But as we said, there's some believers who do not please the Lord in what they do and they're not living the authentic Christian life. Romans chapter 12 presents to us the way a true Christian should live. Therefore, it's the way, it's the description of authentic Christian living. As we consider this chapter, we're going to divide it up into four sections or four realms for Christ, authentic Christian living. The first one is, uh, is our Christian living should be authentic in relation to God. Now, we pretty much covered that last week. That's verses 1 and 2. Authentic in our relationship with God. Not fake, but we truly have a relationship with the Lord. We truly love Him and serve Him. A Authentic Christian living in relationship to God was defined last week as verses 1 and 2 define that it's a person who remembers God's mercies. It also is a person who presents their body to the Lord. They fight against the world and are not conformed to the world and they're transformed by the renewing of their minds so that they are what God wants them to be. The result will be that they'll find out what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God And we who do that accept as good and perfect what God says is is acceptable to Him. And so God says His will is acceptable to Him, and it's good and perfect. So authentic Christian living in relation to God accepts, accepts what God accepts. God says it's acceptable, His will is acceptable, and authentic Christians in relation to God accept what God accepts. We accept it. Now, the world doesn't do that. The world rejects what God accepts. And you see that more all the time. If you want to know where the woke crowd stands today, you find out what the Bible says, and it'll be the opposite of that. That's pretty much the way it is. And if our, and if our country keeps going down this path, we will be recognizing before too long that what happened years ago on, on, two, on 9-11... And that is today, 9-11. What happened back then on 9-11 was an external attack on the United States. Today, we're being attacked internally, and they're tearing us down as a country. And uh, so that's happening. But uh, the, God says one thing, and the, and the world says something else. You see, God said he made the heavens and the earth and the seas and all that in them is in six literal days. If, uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 11. The world says no. We got here by evolution. God said he made man and woman and, two, and only two genders and there's none other. The world says no. You can be what you identify as and some are even identifying today as animals. They're human beings but they're identifying as animals and they're getting some respectability because of that. Total foolishness. God says he inst- instituted marriage between a man and a woman. And that's all. Man and a woman. God ordained marriage. The world says, no, you can marry who you want to. You can marry who you love. And, uh, you will hear the president of the United States saying that. Oh, you know, you should be able to love who you want to love. And he's talking about homosexuality. But it's not true. God says it's wrong. And it's still wrong. So homosexual relations, God says, is sinful. It's unnatural and it's an abomination. Luke chapter eighteen, verse twenty-two. Romans chapter one, verses twenty-six and twenty-seven. The world says no. You can love who you want, and homosexual acts are okay. They're right. They should be accepted and they should be approved. The world, the world is dis- in disagreement with God. The the Christian accepts what God says. God says murder is wrong, and no no individual can take another person's life. And if they do, the punishment is the death penalty. That's what God says in Exodus twenty thirteen, and Exodus 21, verse 12. The world says, no, we're supposed to try to reform the murderers and we're not supposed to give them long life sentences and definitely no life sentence and we're not supposed to uh, put them to death. That's a terrible thing to do. But God says, no, that's the right thing to do. God's thinking is totally different than man's thinking. The Lord says, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind. And the world says, Love yourself and love your possessions. The Lord says, Serve the Lord, Uh, serve the Lord because you love Him. The world says, Serve yourself because you love yourself. The world, the Lord says, Be holy for He is holy. The world says, Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you might die. The Lord says, uh, Lying and cheating and stealing and bribing is against the law. It's wrong. The world says, No, it all depends on the circumstance. And that's what we call politics today. And politics is the, is the art of compromise. And they're compromising the truth. And they're justifying their lying and their deceit. And, and they're stealing from people. And through taxation and all that, they're doing exactly opposite of what God says. But see, a Christian, authentic Christian living, is we accept what God says is acceptable. And if you don't accept what God says is acceptable, then you're not living authentic Christian life in relation to God. The next area, area, realm in this passage is authentic Christian living in relation to ourselves. Notice what he says beginning in verse 3. He says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Now, he's talking to Christians in verse 1. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. So he's talking to Christians. And we're to recognize who we are. We're to be humble, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, remembering that we are so bad that our sin put Jesus on the cross of Calvary. If you start feeling real proud, you need to understand that you're such a bad sinner that your sin put Jesus on the cross of Calvary. The only way, If you were the only person alive and you were a sinner, it would take Jesus dying for you to allow you to go to heaven. And so we should be humble not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Now, that doesn't mean we should have false humility and we should be putting ourselves down all the time. God says, no, don't think yourself more highly than you ought to think. Don't be proud, but also recognize that God has saved you and you're a child of God. You're a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You're important to him. In fact, you're so important that God sent his son Jesus to die for you. That makes us pretty important. But it's all because of Jesus. It's all because of him. We are his ambassadors, we are his witnesses, we are his image bearers. So we're not to have this uh, uh, idea that we're nobody, we're nothing. No, we are somebody. But we are somebody because of Jesus. So don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Then he says to think soberly. That means be of sound mind. To become proud would be like uh, really insanity. Because if you think you're really something, the Bible says, what do you have that you did not receive? It all came from the Lord. If you have good brain power, if you have uh, abilities, it all came from the Lord. You had nothing to do with it. God gave you that ability. And so we owe everything to the Lord. And so we're to give God the credit. He says, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. And so we should not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. We should be humble. We should also recognize where we have been placed. Look at verse 4. Recognize where you've been placed. Authentic Christian living in relation to ourselves makes us understand we're not to be proud, and we're to recognize where we've been placed. Where have you as a Christian been placed? You've been placed in the body of Christ, in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've been placed in Him. Verse 4 says, For as... As we have many members in one body and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ and everyone members one of another. We are in the body of Christ. Isn't that great? <laughs> that God saved you, you might say, well, I'm not much. <laughs> Compared to other people, I'm not really special. The Lord says, you're so, so special, I died for you. And the Lord says, when I saved you, I put, me in, put you in, my, in your, my body and you're very important because you're a part of the body. There's no such thing as a useless part of the body of Christ. Everybody is important. So we're placed in the body. The body is made up of many members. 1 Corinthians 12 says you can liken it to a a foot, a hand, you know, and an eye or an ear, and everything's important. And so the body is very, every part of the body is important. So you, if you've been saved, you are very important to God. He has a very particular place for you in the body of Christ. And so we need to understand that. We've been placed in the body of Christ. And the members of the body are interdependent. They depend upon one another. And as 1, John, as 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, if, they all, were the, if all were an eye, where were, the, where were the hearing, you know? If all were, a, were a, an ear, uh, you wouldn't be able to be able to see, or you wouldn't be able to smell. Everything's important. Every body, part of the body of Christ is important, and we're dependent upon each other. You see, the head functions to tell all the rest of the body what to do. And The Bible says, as far as the church is concerned, Jesus is considered the head of the church, and we're members of his body, and he wants us to work together. You see, if the eye is not working correctly, it will affect the way you walk and all that. Last night, I went back to our bedroom, and I thought, I don't have to turn on a light. I've been through that bedroom so many times. I wouldn't have to turn on a light. And you know what I did? We have this bed that has these big, tall bed posts. And I ran smack dab in one of those, <laughs> and just like this. It's a wonder I don't have a black eye this morning. But eye's important. Your eye's are very important. And so every part of your body, your big toe is important. You take off the big toe and notice what problems you have with the balance. Everything is important. So every part of the body of Christ is important. Recognize who we are. Understand who we are. And we also recognize what we've been given. Look at verses 6 through 8. We've been given gifts. As, a, as the uh, body of Christ, we are members of the body of Christ, we've been given gifts. And so acceptable Christian living in relation to to ourselves is to understand that, and that we've been given gifts. you know the Bible teaches you that if you're a child of God, you have a spiritual gift? There's no, no child of God without a spiritual gift. We're not talking about natural abilities. We're talking about spiritual gifts. Some way God has gifted you by His Spirit to serve Him. You have a spiritual gift. Now let's notice, we have been given gifts by God, The Bible says it's grace gifts given for service and they're not natural abilities. And it says each person differs. It says in in verse 6 that differing, having then gifts differing according to the grace of God. That means your gift is different than mine and mine is different than yours. And we all have individual gifts. And God has a purpose for those gifts in his body. And in the local church, he puts them together so that they work together and they perform correctly. God has a gift for you. And he's and and uh, they're different. You're not like me. I'm not like you. And uh, everybody is important. First Corinthians chapter seven says every man have his has his proper gift of God, one after this manner, another after that. First Corinthians twelve four says not now there are diversities of gift, but the same Spirit. First Corinthians twelve eleven, but all these work with that one and self same Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. Go. God is the one who gives you the gift. It's the one he wants you to have. He has a purpose for it, and you're to find out what that is and use it for his glory, according to the grace that is given to us. Because of grace, not because of worthiness. We have a gift because God gave it to us. It's a grace gift, not because we deserve it. And so God's given me the the, uh, ability to preach and to teach. That's a God-given gift he's given me, and I have to use that for him. If I don't, I displease Him. God's given different new, new gifts, and we'll look at some of those, and we're to use those for His glory. Now, these gifts must be used properly. Now, let's look, look at verse 6, beginning the last part of verse 6, and we'll list some of these gifts. We'll list all of them that He lists here. He says, Having been gifts different according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy, according to the proportion of faith. All right, the gift of prophecy. Now, I believe that this gift is no longer in, in, in use in the local church, in, God, in the body of Christ. Why is that? Because it's foundational to the church. You see, in the New Testament, and when Paul wrote this, the scripture was not yet completed. And so God did have New Testament prophets. Prophets were those who received messages from God and gave those messages to the people. And God did had prophets in the, in the early church. And but when the when the canon of Scripture was completed, when the last bit was written, that God wanted written into this, into this Bible, then that gift ceased. The Bible says in, in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20 said, says that we're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Foundation. And Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. You don't lay Jesus Christ as the cornerstone over and over again. He has been laid. He's foundational to the church. The foundation of the apostles, uh, of the prophets and the apostles. There are no apostles today. People who claim to have apostolic gifts, they don't know what they're talking about. They don't have. There are no apostles today. Paul was an apostle, and there were the other 12 apostles. There are no other apostles today. That's foundational to the church. We will build upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets and so because of that, there's no prophets today. And so the gift of prophecy was, at, was, was functioning at that time, but it's not today. And then notice he lists, lists some other gifts. Look at verse 7. Or ministry. Let us wait on our ministry. The word ministry means service. Uh, from the same word that we get our word deacon. A deacon is a servant. And so every deacon should have this gift because he serves. He's supposed to serve. And so a deacon is to serve. And the Lord says, there's a a gift of ministry, of service. Also, if you have that, he says, then minister, do do that. Then there's the gift of teaching, verse 7. He says, or he that teacheth, let him teach or teach. So if you have the gift of teaching, you should teach. Some people can teach, some can't. There's nothing wrong if you don't, can't teach. There's nothing wrong if you're not able to do that. God gives you that gift, and you're to, if you have that, you're to use that for his glory. Also, there's the gift of exhortation, verse 8. He says, uh, or he that exhorteth on exhortation. Exhortation means that you encourage people. You know, there's some people that are just in good encouragers. There's some people who are not. They have that personality, they're just not very encouraging. It's not their fault, but they should be balanced out with someone in the church that do have that gift of encouragement. There's some people, you know, that just are good at going up to somebody when they're down and and encouraging them. They have that gift of encouragement. It's like when you have a fire going maybe in your fireplace and and, uh, things sort of, go down, you know, and you need to get that poker in there and sort of stir things up to get the flame going again. You can add wood to it. And uh, what's that doing? That's stirring things up. That's what the encourager does. He encourages somebody that's down. He gets them back on fire for the Lord, the encourager. Also, there's the gift of giving, verse 8. He says, or he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. The gift of giving. I believe there are people in the church that have to give, have the gift of Giving. That's, that's evidence in the fact that they love to give and they have the ability to give. Now, there's giving that you can give that doesn't involve possessions, you know, or things. And that's very necessary, too. But there are some people who have the gift of giving who God has blessed them so they are able to make money and they do make money, but they know how to give to the Lord. And God gives them that gift. And God says we're to do it with simplicity. That means sincerity. That means singleness of heart, mental honesty. Uh, God loves a cheerful giver, the Bible says. It's not giving like uh, Ananias and Sapphira. You remember in Acts chapter 5. Barnabas sold something. He gave everything he he had that he got from that sale to the the Lord. And uh, he got some acclaim over that. And some people uh, complimented him for doing that. But he did it from his heart. He wasn't trying to get any praise. Ananias and Sapphira saw, saw that and they thought we'd like that kind of praise too. So they sold a piece of property and they agreed among themselves they would act like they gave it all to the church but they'd keep back part of it for themselves. And so you remember what happened. They came, Ananias came in and the question was asked, did you sell the property for so much because the Lord had let it be known? And he said, yes, that's what we sold it for and the Lord struck him dead right there. Now, I'm glad God's not doing that today. We'd have probably <laughs> lacking a lot of people in churches. But, <laughs> but God drove home the message. This is serious. So his wife, who had been party with this, she didn't know that her husband had died. She comes in a little bit later, and they ask her, did you sell the property for so much? And She said, yes, we did. And she lied, and the Lord struck her dead, and they dragged, took her out and buried her. What were they doing? They were giving, but not with the right attitude. They were giving, but not with the right motive. A person who has the gift of giving does it with simplicity, singleness of heart, mental honesty. They just want to do what God wants them to do. And then there's the gift of ruling. It says in verse verse 8, He that ruleth with diligence. He that ruleth with diligence. Rule is the word that means you're up front. You're placed in front of folks. You're, You're a leader. You can lead people. Some people can and some people can't. But there are some people who are leaders and others are followers. But leaders have that gift of ruling in the Christian life, anyway. Some are gifted with that gift, spiritual gift, to be able to be in charge of things and to rule. And God says, if you have that gift, then you're to do it. You're to use that. You do it with diligence. That means to make haste, uh, do it right away, do, what, do your best, uh, do it with diligence. And then he says there's the gift of mercy, the gift of mercy. The gift of mercy is that person who's, who's gifted by the Lord, so they're always merciful. You know, somebody does something wrong, and other people are just ready to be down on them, but uh, they have the gift of mercy. I remember a time years ago in the church where I, I had this person that they had committed a sin, and, and uh, some were really at me to try to bring them for, forward right away and just take care of it. And I was counseling him on the side and tried to get him through this. And uh, I agonized over it. And uh, the guy was responding. But while he was responding, I had this pressure. Take care of this. Do this. Do this. But I didn't feel the Lord wanted me to. And it wasn't long before that man came forward in church and he confessed his sin. What was I doing? I was having some mercy. And the Lord says mercy is needed. And in a church, you know, some really are wanting to do it now and others are merciful. And God says, I put those people with mercy in there to try to balance things out. And people with mercy. Uh, do it with cheerfulness, readiness of mind, joyful to do it. A person who's merciful has a gift of mercy is a person who does it with a merry heart. And the Bible says, Proverbs seventeen twenty two: a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. Now, these are gifts that God gives to us as believers. And we're to think right about ourselves. And our Christian living in relation to ourselves is that we're not to be proud, but we're to realize where we've been put, and that's the family of God and the body of Christ, and realize what we've been given. We've been given gifts to serve the Lord. But then we move on to the next part of this passage, and that is authentic Christian living in relation to other believers. Now, this is interesting. Look at verse 9. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is good. Cleave to that which is evil. Now, we know this passage is talking about believers, how we're to respond to believers. First of all, verse 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. So he's talking to brothers. And then verse 10 says, one to another with brotherly love. Verse 13 says, saints. Verse 16, one toward another. So our love, it's, for each other, we're to, in our relation to each other, it's to be a relationship of love. Now, I'm going to give you several definitions of love that come right from this text, and I want you to follow with me. First of all, our love is to be real. It says without dissimulation. That means without hypocrisy, genuine, sufi- uh, sincere, as we're saying in our title this, this morning, authentic. And it's a uh, genuine love, love without uh, hypocrisy. Our love is to be particular. That means our love is to, is to really uh, stand for something. I mean, it's not to be wishy-washy. Our love is to be particular. Verse, verse 9, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. So if you're a, a person who loves the brethren, you can still say, I, I reject this and I accept this. Abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. Abhor means have a loathing for and a separation from that which is evil. I say no to sin. I say it's, it's wrong. No, that's not right. It's wrong. And uh, so I, I abhor that which is evil, and I cleave to that which is good. The word cleave means stick to. So I stick to the good. Uh, what is good for me to do as a Christian? I want to do that, and I stick to it. It's the same word that's used, uh, remember, in Matthew, where the Lord says, a husband is to leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. I tell couples sometimes when I counsel with them, when you get married, you're stuck. You're stuck. The Bible says, till death do you part. Now, that's the teaching of the scripture. And you're stuck. And it's the word you're glued to. You're stick to like glue. And we should understand that today it's not that way. People don't consider it that way. They consider that you're, you're, you're put together with scotch tape. You, know, you can just rip it apart any time. But God says, no, you're stuck to it. Stick to like glue. And so he says, abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Our love is to be particular. Our love is also to be brotherly. B- b- verse 10. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love. Kindly affection means family love. It's like kindred, you know. We love each other. We're like brothers and sisters in Christ. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Showing honor to each other. Preferring one another. That means putting the other first looking out for the well-being of our brother. And sometimes that's to uh, the discredit of our own well-being. And we're not looking out for ourselves; we're looking out for them. And so it might be inconvenient to reach out and help a brother. But God says you do that even if it is inconvenient. And so our love is to be brotherly. Our love is also to be enthusiastic. Look at verse 11. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Not slothful in business. It's interesting that the word business is the same word that's used up in verse 8 and translated diligence. And uh, so not f- slothful in doing things the right away way that you should. Not slothful in business. Uh, fervent in spirit. That means boiling over with enthusiasm. You're excited to serve the Lord. You're excited to, to help your brother fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Remember who we serve, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 13, verse 35 says, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one toward another. And so the world can tell that we're real because of the way we treat each other, our brothers in Christ. Also, verse 12 says, Our love is to be steadfast. He says, Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. That has the idea, I believe, that we keep on loving regardless. Rejoicing in hope. We believe God's promises. We know that God has promised certain things, and it's going to come to pass. We just need to persevere through it and keep on loving. He says, patient in tribulation. We trust God's purpose, and that is God knows what he's doing. It's going to come out right, and God, so we're patient in tribulation, waiting, staying under the load. We're waiting for him, and then continuing instant in prayer. We're depending on God's power as we as we. <laughs> Love this person steadfast. Sometimes our brothers are hard to our brothers or sisters are hard to love. Now, I don't want anybody saying Amen, but it's true, isn't it? Sometimes we're hard to love. Sometimes we're not very lovable, and God says that's where it comes in—that you're to be steadfast, you're to be uh, fervent, and you're not to put, not to give up. You're to be steadfast in your love. Someone has said like this, to dwell above with saints we love that will indeed be glory. But to dwell below with saints we know, well, that's another story. <laughs> and sometimes that's true. But God says, when those people seem unlovable, we're still supposed to be steadfast. Our love is also, verse 13, supposed to be helpful. It says, distributing to the necessity of saints. Distributing, that means sharing. Sharing the, the necessities of, of saints. We're to share our, what we have. We're to help others. And Then he says, given to hospitality. Seeking eagerly to help somebody that maybe we don't know. It's, it, hospitality is, is actually means uh, reaching out to help a stranger. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 2 says, Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, For for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Sometimes, and this is even really difficult today because of all the things that are happening. But still, we need to try to befriend people who we don't know. And uh, the other day, last Sunday, uh, Brother Mike brought somebody in in church and he was here with us and we enjoyed him being here. His his name was Russell. And why was Russell here? Because uh, Mike just met him and decided to help him, bring him to church. That's what this is all about. This is hospitality, reaching out to a person who's uh, maybe not that, uh, that we don't know, but we know they have needs and we help them. Our love is also to be persistent. Look at verse 14. I, I know, now, I'm sorry, verse 14, bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Bless them that persecute, Bless them that which persecute you, bless and curse not. Bless means to speak well of it of. So you speak well of but those who persecute you, and you do not curse them. You don't call down God's wrath or God's uh, divine dealing upon them because of what they They did. You speak well of them. You try to encourage them. Our love is to be persistent. Our love is also be sympathetic. Look at verse 15. Rejoice with them that rejoice. Weep with them that weep. So Christian love is to be for other brothers, is to be that we share with their good. You might be going through a really rough time, and you're having a hard time, and you're praying about this thing, and you're burdened by it, and then somebody comes to you, a Christian, and they just tell you something good God did for them. It's so easy to say, but if you only knew what I was going through. But God says rejoice with them that rejoice Weep with them that weep. And so be glad for that person as they're going through the, this blessing in their life. And then when a the person's going through a bad time, weep with those that weep. It's interesting, the Lord dealt with the woman at the well in John chapter 4 with the same kind of ki- kindness that he dealt with, the, with uh, uh, Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Nicodemus is a ruler of the Jews, this woman at the well had been married, married five times and now living with a man who wasn't her husband. But God reached out to her, and his kindness was to her, and uh, it, was, it was a wonderful thing to see. So our love is to be sympathetic. Our love is to be without partiality, verse 16. It says, Be the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. And so God wants us to be... First person who does it without partiality. We don't pick out who we're going to love. Some are more unlovable, but we're supposed to love them anyway. Mind not high things. Don't be proud. Don't, don't be like Diotrephes in Second John, who loved to have the preeminence, and so he was going to misuse other people in the church so he could be top dog. And God says that's not good. We're not to be that way. So we're to be authentic in our Christian living, in relationship to other believers. But then in the passage also, there's a section beginning in verse 17 that speaks of our relationship to unbelievers. And I believe that's speaking of these unbelievers. Look at verse 17. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Live an honorable life before all all men. Provide things honest in uh, in the sight of all men. Now, we'll look at that first part in a minute, but notice this, provide things honest in the sight of all men. Honest means honorable. Provide is is the verb that means you're taking thought, you're planning. You think ahead to be honorable in your dealings. Honest in the sight of all men. The Bible says the the world watches us. And so in 1 Peter, the Lord said, our conversations should be honest and before the, among the Gentiles. We're to be honest among the Gentiles. So it does matter what people think. I've sometimes heard people say, I don't care what people think. You should never say that as a Christian because you should care what people think. You should care what people see. You should care what people see in you because when they see you, you claiming to be a representative of Jesus Christ And so what they see in you reflects on Jesus Christ. We should care what people think. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says, abstain from all appearance of evil. And then it says, live at peace with all men. If it be possible, that's on their part. As much as lieth in you, that's on your part. And so being peaceful with all men involves two persons. If it be possible, as far as they're concerned, as much as lieth in you, that's on your part. In other words, you should never be the one that breaks the peace. For a neighbor, you should never be the one that does something that makes that neighbor turn against you. So you should be one that's trying to live a peaceful life among all, all, all people. We should be good neighbors. Also, he says, do not retaliate because of evil done to us. The first part of that is in verse 17. Recompense to no man evil for evil. God, Man did something bad to you, you're going to do something bad to him. That should never be a part of the Christian's life. And then he says in verse 19, he says, Beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. Avenge not yourselves. Don't get even with somebody, but give place unto wrath. Whose wrath? God's wrath. Because the Lord says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. God, get, God is the one who gives the vengeance, not us. So you're not to avenge yourselves. You're to overcome evil with good. Verse, verse 21 says, "Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. And verse 20 tells us how to do that. If thine enemy hunger, feed him. So you're looking at an enemy, your enemy and you see your enemy has two needs. He has, he has hunger and he has thirst. It's an example the Lord gives us. Enemy has hunger and he has thirst. What do you do? Well, you try to meet that enemy's needs. I know he did what, wrong to you, He doesn't deserve it, but you meet his needs, hunger and thirst. So if he hunger, you give him something to eat. If he thirst, you give him something to drink. And the Lord says this, in doing this, you'll do something. Now, I don't believe it means that we're supposed to want to do this. It doesn't mean that you're supposed to want to put coals of fire on that man's head. But the Lord says this will be the result. If you'll do good to him, It'll be like putting coals of fire on his his head. I believe that means that your, your good done to him will prick his conscience. It'll torment his soul and destroy his enmity. It'll have an effect on that man that he's wanting you to lash back, but you didn't. You were good to him. And it's hard for a person to turn against kindness and goodness to them, even when they don't deserve it. And the Lord says that'll have an effect upon that man. So in doing that, what do you do? You overcome evil with good. That's much better than having evil overcome you. And sometimes we get in these situations, you know, when we just lash out and we uh, try to get even with some person, we try to avenge, and what happens is it ends up destroying that relationship, but also ends up destroying us. Because we, the, the evil has overcome us, and the evil has made us what that person is. But the Lord says, don't be overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, this passage has sure dealt with a whole lot of things. And but, that, but in reality, it says this. You're to be right in relationship to God. We're to be re- right in relationship to ourselves. We're to be right in relationship to our brothers in Christ. And we're to be right in relationship to unbelievers in the world. God wants us to be a Christian that represents him. Authentic Christian living. We're the real deal. Now, we might read all this, and we've gone through a whole lot this morning, but we can say, I can't do that. That's impossible. I couldn't do that. The Lord says, with God, all things are possible. And the Lord says in, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ. Strengthens me. We can be this kind of person. God says, Are you going to be? You can be, but are we going to be? Let's pray. Father, thank you tonight, today, for helping us to go through this passage. There's a lot of instruction here, Lord, and I pray that we would be Christians who would take it to heart. May we be able to go back in our own minds to this passage and say, Lord, this is the way you want me to live. Help me to be that way. Give us opportunities this week, Lord, where we can put that to practice. We pray in Jesus' name.